the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What about these people who can but don't pay their pastors a livable wage, a comfortable wage? Those churches are in sin. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. There's an unfortunate tradition in the Christian church, especially in America, that pastors should be paid poorly and they should be paid barely enough. I've heard it all. Elder boards telling pastors to stop having children so they don't have to keep increasing their salary. Church finance committee members approaching the parents of the pastor who happen to be doctors to ask them to give their son free health care so the church wouldn't have to pay for their insurance. More than once I have had a pastor and his wife sit in my living room, the wife in tears, because they can't afford to live. They're scraping by on their savings. To even afford a cheap used minivan, they had to ask his parents to pay for that. Imagine that. It wasn't because the church couldn't pay them. They wouldn't pay them well. And so a grown man, a pastor with children, having to ask his dad to buy him a car so he could safely drive around the grandchildren. I have a friend who lives in Eastern Europe where I once served. She is an American on her passport. It's where she was born, but she grew up on the mission field, and she grew up in a time in where this was believed. And so though they lived in Southeast Asia as Americans, missionaries supported by the American church, they lived in poverty because the church said, well, you're missionaries. Why should you live anywhere above the poverty line? To this day, people can clearly see that she's an American, but she denies it. She denounces. She says, no, 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 I'm not an American. Don't call me that. It's not a political statement. It's because of how the American church treated her. Growing up as a child, she didn't know it back then. She thought it was normal. But now looking back as a child, as an American church-supported missionary, her and her brother and her parents subsisting on rice and water. Such things should not be so. And these are pastors. They're missionaries. They're not just going to say, well, I'm going to quit and find a better job. Get online. Find a a higher-paying job. No, they're committed to their people. They're committed to their mission field. They don't just quit for better pay, and yet many of them are starving as the congregation drives in in BMWs and Mercedes and brand-new cars. Today we start a new chapter and a new series in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as we continue our verse-by-verse study of this epistle. And we're still in the broader context of looking at Christian liberty, but now Paul is going to share his own example and his own life. And today's sermon is entitled, Ministerial Rights, The Pastor's Pay. Before you walk out or log off based on 
unsubstantiated assumptions that here's another pastor exercising a money grab. Let's look at the text and let it speak for itself. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1-7 through says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? That is Peter. Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? This morning I want to give you three aspects of vocational ministry as illustrated in apostleship. Three aspects of vocational ministry today illustrated in apostleship. Vocational meaning one's occupation. Vocational meaning something that they make their living off of. They get paid to do it. The first aspect of vocational ministry illustrated in apostleship is the proof of apostleship. In the first two verses, Paul establishes something that the Corinthians already know, that, that he is indeed an apostle, a church leader, a pastor. Let me read for you what, verses 1 and 2 again. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul begins by asking a series of rhetorical questions that establish his apostleship, which in turn establishes his rights as an apostle. All of the questions are written in a way that expects a positive answer in the Greek grammar. He begins with, am I not free? And again, although we are going to get into the specific, the details of both an apostle and a modern-day pastor and his rights, we need to remember that the larger context is Christian liberty. And so just as we closed last week, this whole chapter, that whole series on Christian liberty, gray areas, he says, am I not free as well to eat the meats in part of the temple feast? Sure, we saw that last week. And with this question... Paul is continuing on this topic and saying that he has the same Christian liberty as anyone else, particularly in context, the stronger brother who is eating at the temple feast. He gets to do it too. As we saw, he chooses not to out of love for others. Another way to put it to help you understand what Paul is getting at in this passage is that he is saying, just because of the conclusion I have come to in giving up rights out of loving preference towards others, doesn't mean those rights don't exist. And we get that. That's why he even wrote chapter 8, because the rights, the gray areas, the Christian liberty, they do exist, and thus he needs to address how we are to practice them or not practice them. In other words, just because Paul limits his freedom doesn't mean that that freedom is not still his. We experience this every day. We have a lot of freedoms that we just choose not to exercise. And this goes back to a very crucial aspect of everything we looked at in chapter 8, which is the conscious choice, the willful choice of the believer to love the brethren, which often means to choose not to practice a gray area. Now, going back to Paul's rhetorical questions, he moves on to ask, am I not an apostle again? The, ob the, the obvious answer is yes. The Corinthians know that. He's not bringing up something that the Corinthians don't already know. 
He's setting up his rights not only as a Christian, but as a Christian leader. He's asking these questions to establish facts, to really bring home the point later on. And some of the rights as a leader in the church are unique to that position. They are not rights that every Christian has. And as we go on, we will see that the issue at hand, both as something that is rightfully his and that he, has, he chooses to forego, is the issue of payment for his ministry, for his services, the pastor's salary. Paul then follows up this question with two more questions that confirm his apostleship. He says these are all things that the Corinthians already know about him, but again, he's setting up what he's going to talk about next. Now, according to Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 22, one of the prerequisites of becoming an apostle was having seen Jesus Christ in person. That's why he says, have I not seen the Lord Jesus Christ? The other apostles we know were actually with Christ during his earthly ministry. This is not uh, illustrative. This is not a metaphor. We've all seen Jesus because we are his. That's not what he's talking about, to physically see the person Jesus Christ. Luke 6 tells us that the 12 disciples were commissioned as apostles by Christ himself when they were physically in his presence. Verse 13 says he called all of his disciples. We know 12 as the disciples, but he had other disciples, other repenters, other followers of him, many of them, and he called this large group. And out of those, he called the 12 specifically to be the 12 disciples, but also we're told in Luke 6, he named them as apostles. So obviously, though they wouldn't be cognizant of the reality that that would be a requirement to be an apostle, or perhaps even understanding fully what being an apostle meant at that time, they were clearly there with him. Now at that time, we know that Paul, Saul at the time, when Jesus was on earth and called his apostles, Paul was not a follower of Christ. He was still steeped in Judaism and later after the ascension would start persecuting the Christians. So obviously Jesus did not pick Paul to be an apostle during the time of his earthly ministry. In fact, he didn't become an apostle until his physical body was gone out of this earth. Problem? Well, not really. After his ascension into heaven, Jesus revealed himself to Paul miraculously while Paul was on his way to Damascus in that infamous and powerful scene where Jesus not only calls Paul, known as Saul at the time, to himself in faith, but also assigns him as an apostle. And so though not in the same way as the others, Paul sees Jesus in a miraculous way and so fulfills that requirement of being an apostle. Now back in 1 Corinthians, Paul then moves on from the spiritual calling to the practical affirmation. And the last question in verse 1, he asks, are you not my work in the Lord? See, apostle is not just an honorary position in which someone is given a place and a title with no duties, no responsibilities for the Lord and within the church. There is something they're supposed to do as an apostle. The apostle, like The pastor or elder is an apostle not only because he has been called by God, but because he is fulfilling that call by God. He's doing the work. And here, because he is writing to the Corinthians, Paul says that they are a further proof of his apostleship. They're not the only proof. There are other churches. There are other people. There are other letters that he has written, disciples. But, of course, they're the ones he's mentioning because this is their letter. Specifically, The proof is their existence as a church. 
Not only that they're meeting together, but that they are a group of believers. It was Paul who preached the gospel to them and led them to Christ. He says, you are proof of my apostleship. You are the practical proof that I am doing the work of the Lord and the Lord is working through me. It was through Paul's missionary endeavors that the church at Corinth came to be. And that's why when we go to verse 2, he says, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. He's uh, speaking hypothetically. He says, even if there are other Christians who don't consider Paul an apostle because of his lack of involvement in them, that definitely can't be the case with the Corinthians. They know very well who he is and what he has done in their own lives. There's no way to challenge or question his apostleship among the Corinthians within the church. There are people who try. There are naysayers from outside the church who are infiltrating, who are causing problems. We talked about this, I think, way back in chapters 1 and 2. But the true believers, the part of the Corinthian church, couldn't deny it. And when you look at all the issues they had and how Paul still loves them, doesn't give up on them, rebukes them, addresses them, of all the people at that time, the Corinthians were the last people who could challenge Paul's ministry and apostleship and calling. And it's not that necessarily there were true Christians denying Paul's apostleship. It's, again, it's a hypothetical to further set up his statement about his apostleship being confirmed through the Corinthians' faith. Remember, guys, just look at yourselves. You know who I am. Paul goes on to say that because of his involvement in them, all the way back to evangelizing them and thus establishing the Corinthian church, they are in fact the seal. He uses that word, the seal of his apostleship. And that word that he uses is the seal that was put on containers of goods or letters to authenticate that what was inside was genuinely from the sender. Uh, you've seen this, right? The, a king, for example, would have a ring. It's a little signet in there, right? And they'd put that soft wax and he would mark it with the ring. And if that crate or whatever it was or that letter arrived at its destination and that seal, that wax wasn't broken, you would know that it had not been tampered with. It is from the owner of that seal and the original contents of that letter or that package are still in there. Today we have a signature, a, a fingerprint, stamp of a notary, those types of things. But it was a significant proof that this was genuine, this was legal, this was real. And that's what Paul is saying about the Corinthian church. You are the stamp. They are the wax seal that serves as a sign of his authority and God's using him. It is a confirmation and a guarantee that he is indeed an apostle. And to put this in even more spiritual terms, you could say that the Corinthians were God's stamp of approval on Paul's labor for him. So before even going into his rights... Paul establishes why he has those rights by rhetorically reminding the Corinthians that he is indeed an apostle. And you see this coming. You've read the passage that all of this establishes even the more powerful force of his saying, but I have chosen to forego those rights for your sake. But what are those rights? He lists a couple of them as we move on, but they ultimately revolve around the same point. So let's look at our second aspect, which is the prerogatives of apostleship. This is our second aspect of vocational ministry illustrated in apostleship. Look at verses 3 through 5. My defense to those who examine me is this. 
Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? First of all, he says, my defense. Who's examining Paul to warrant him to feel like he needs to defend himself? Again, it's not that the Corinthians as a whole are denying his apostleship, but there are some who may be trying to find fault, as there always are, right? There's always someone trying to find that loophole, find that crack in, in someone's behavior, someone's character, perhaps to justify flexing their own Christian liberty. Oh, you're telling me I can't go to those temple feasts anymore? Well, let's look at you, Paul. Because as he writes that, as he wrote that, as we saw in chapter 8, undoubtedly there's some who are reading that who respond in their pride and say, yeah, but you, Paul, but you, you've heard that before. If you are lovingly, graciously trying to confront someone on their sin and their first response is, yeah, but you walk away because that wall has come up like a brick wall. It's a wall of pride. You just need to come back later when they humble themselves. Because if their first response is, but you, then there's no point in the conversation is over. They're turning it into an argument. And maybe that's what Paul is addressing here. We don't know. As I mentioned, as I began in the church, as in the church today, maybe there were some back then who thought that Paul shouldn't be supported financially. And if he should, it should just be enough to scrape by, to keep his body functioning. Not necessarily healthy, but alive. And definitely not enough to support a family should he choose to have one. Ultimately, this phrase serves as a bridge between the establishment of his apostleship and the associated rights. First, he says that he and other church leaders have the right to eat and drink. Now, obviously, nobody is denying his right to sustain his physical body. The grammar shows us that he's not referring to just eating and drinking, the type of eating and drinking that is necessary to stay alive. He is saying that church leaders and apostles have the right to eat and drink at the expense of the church. The church should pay them enough that they can afford food and drink. This is the right to the basic needs of life to be maintained by, to be paid for by the churches they serve and not just the bare minimum. Later, Paul will address the same issue with Timothy. If you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5, we'll look at verses 17 through 18. Elders of the church who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. And we'll see this Old Testament command regarding the ox next week again in verse 9 where he actually explains it a little more. The idea of double honor is not just talking about pay. It doesn't translate directly to double pay. It means honor. But obviously finances would play into that. Turn back a a few books to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6. The one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. He's talking about the preacher, the pastor, the apostle. But he doesn't stop there. Look at the next two verses. 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, the one who's selfish, the one who just amasses riches only for himself, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Verses 7 through 8 applies to all, all aspects of money as well as your pursuits, not just how to pay a pastor, but the context of the previous verse in verse 6 is quite convicting. But this isn't just about an individual. 
this isn't just about the pastor himself, but also his family. In verse 5, Paul says that he also has the right, should he choose, to take along a believing wife. This is not about the right to be married. That's a given. Nobody's denying the apostles that right. There are Christian cults that deny that right. Heretical religions that deny that right to their church leaders, the right to be married. That's wrong and unbiblical and sinful. He's talking about taking along a wife. Look at the vocabulary. In other words, the married apostle or the married pastor or the married missionary shouldn't have to leave his wife at home because he can't afford to bring her along on his missionary journey to move to shepherd that other church to the pastor's conference or to speak at another church's retreat. Now, we know that Paul wasn't married at this time, but that's beside the point. He has the right to be married, and he has the right to have his salary be high enough that his wife does not have to work to pay for her existence in his life. At the end of verse 5, he says that all the apostles and brothers of the Lord and Cephas, who is Peter, have that same right. It's no surprise that Paul mentions Peter specifically here to emphasize this point, because remember back in chapter 1, they were claiming various people. There were these factions. Peter was one of the church leaders that they were saying, I am of Peter. We know that Peter was married because we're introduced to his mother-in-law in the Gospels. The brothers of Jesus, we know that Jesus had earthly half-brothers who are listed by name. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, he also had half-sisters. Apparently, other leaders of the church as well as the other apostles were married. And if not like Paul, they definitely had the right to be married. And if they were to receive additional support so they could bring their wives along in their ministries, understanding now that for many of the apostles, it was missionary journeys. Their, their ministries were constantly moving. They were itinerant ministries. They were never in one place for too long. You know, although it's uncommon, but definitely more common than we'd like, pastors do get divorced. And one of the main contributing factors is that ministers of the gospel are not enough, don't have enough time to spend with their wives and their families. And although obvious to be thorough, the right to marry for the leader is only to a believing wife. He makes that clear. The Greek says sister wife. It simply means a Christian wife. They have the right to be married, but only to a Christian. Same right and limitation for all Christians in marriage. And so what he's saying is, I should be able to take a wife and bring her along on my missionary journeys in a way that I don't have to say, honey, you can come along, but only if, you know, while we're on the road, you do some knitting or you do some weaving and we sell those so that we can pay for your meals and your lodging. No, that's not what he's saying, and that should not be the case. He should be able to have a family and given a wage so that it's not just he doesn't have to work, but that he can support his whole family. These are the rights of an apostle. But then he goes on, and he explains that not only should the wife not have to work, the apostle or pastor should not have to have a second job. And that leads us to our third and final aspect of vocational ministry illustrated in apostleship. Thirdly, the provisions of apostleship, verses 6 and 7. Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? Both Barnabas and Paul worked secular jobs to pay their way on their missionary journey. We know from Acts 18 that Paul was a tent maker. He literally made tents, uh, which obviously was a more common item back then. Don't think how we would use tents today, primarily for camping or when you're setting something up at the farmer's market or something like that. Uh, the word could also refer to a leather worker. And this is where we get the, the term tent maker today. 
to refer to a pastor who is bivocational, a pastor who has a second job in, in addition to ministry in order to support himself. It's because Paul was literally a maker of tents. What Paul is asking is that since all church leaders have the right to be supported by churches, are he and Barnabas the only ones without that right? Of course the answer is no. He knows that. They know that. He's making a point. And the question is all the more pertinent because in reality, Paul and Barnabas did work secular jobs to support themselves. And perhaps it was even easier for the church to not pay the apostles because every Jew within Judaism was required to learn a trade as a youth, a trade, not just be educated. This is more than a, an American high school education, right? You could go through high school and sometimes even college and still not have the expertise to do anything. They were specifically taught a trade, the idea of apprenticeship. And so they could easily say, yeah, these apostles, we don't need to pay them. We know they know a trade. They don't have to be trained. We know that he was trained as a blacksmith, that he was trained as an accountant, he was trained as a leather worker, whatever it is. So maybe in their minds it's even easier. Keep the money for ourselves. Why? Because they, they can do it. They don't even need to apply for a job back then. They just start making stuff and then sell it. They can do it. And maybe it was even easier for them to not shift gears and start paying Paul and Barnabas because, hey, they're doing fine on their own. They're tent making. And then Paul goes on to explain why non-payment shouldn't be the norm. He explains that, in fact, all workers, no matter the occupation, are sustained by that work and pastors, apostles, missionaries should be no different. He gives three examples, the soldier, the farmer, and the shepherd not a spiritual shepherd, a literal shepherd. First he asks, what soldier serves at his own expense? This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.